Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Welcome to... Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the guy, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, and now the proud owner of a at least 24 stamps, um, Jay King, who had absolutely one of the wildest stamps debacles I've uh, I've heard of in a long time. Jay, how are you recovering and can we confirm that you were able to procure some stamps? I mean, I, I don't know if I'll ever recover from that. I went to the <laughs> post office, and first of all, the line was lo- as long as I've ever seen it, like fucking just forever. Then the lady in front of me had to send at least 2,000 pieces of mail, <laughs> and and many of them needed international stamps. Like She was just a high-maintenance, high-maintenance customer, so that took forever. And then I'm, I'm trying to get stamps for, for my Save the Dates, and they only have PTSD stamps, which is like, it, it's a good thing to like benefit whoever it benefits, but... You can't have PTSD stamps on your save the date. Not the vibe you're going for with the save the date. Yeah, so uh, I ended up it, it ended up not being a successful <laughs> trip to the post office, but CVS had them after uh, after much ado at CVS. There, there was I was successful in pro- procuring some stamps. That's like you know a what? law school word you you pulled out there. Procure? Procure is not a law school word. That's just a, jur- a word you should be able to use as a journalist. But you know what I liked about that story, Jay, is that you faced some adversity and then you closed. You were a closer. You got the job done late in the game. And you know what? You ended up being a winner because you got stamps. And you know who uh, could learn a little lesson from that? Is the uh, the Boston Celtics who last time we podcasted? Oh, we talked oh about they've it. got stamps. You know how I know <laughs> they got stamps because they mail in every fourth quarter. <laughs> touche, touche, my friend. Well played. <laughs> I mean, last time we podcasted, we talked about how the upcoming five games were very easy for them. They're playing lesser opponents, and it they're was now very, two. <laughs> very important for them to do well, and they turned in. Two of the worst fourth quarter performances I've seen in a while. And it's just more of the same for the Celtics who have how many losses right now? Or that are like less than seven points. They just cannot win a close game. They cannot score at all in the fourth quarter. Their half quarter offense or half court offense is just abysmal, especially late. And just a heartbreaking loss 
against the Spurs, where I really thought, like, despite their lack of execution on offense in the fourth quarter against the Spurs, they were scrappy. They were doing crazy stuff to try to, like, get back in the game against the Spurs. It's just, like, things didn't really seem to go their way. And then you'd have Jalen smoking one of the worst bunnies of all time. Like, he shouldn't, like, he, he had the inbound pass basically thrown right to him. Like, it was pretty wild. Worst inbound tree. pass I've ever seen. One of the worst ones ever. And, like, just smokes the game time layup. And, like, that, okay, that was, like, a bad game, but, like, you know what? The Celtics fought back into it. Jason Tatum was coming back from uh, his second bout of COVID. Like, he clearly didn't have it going. Jalen had 30 points. Like, I don't know. I can give him a little bit of pass on that one. But then to be up, what, 81 to 60 against the Knicks in the third quarter and then to score, like, something like 20 points for the remaining 18 minutes, their offense was just absolutely atrocious. And... I don't know have an explanation for it at this point, but apparently it's just because, according to Hardo Ime, uh, they lack all mental toughness. You were there. Are you were you there in MSG? I was there at MSG. Yes. So take me through that horror show. What your reaction was to watching the Celtics just blow uh, a giant lead, the, becoming the second team this season to uh, lose a game after being up twenty five, joining the Lakers. You know the rivalry continues. Uh, but what were your reactions to that game? Well, I mean, obviously it was uh, not great, and they collapsed. <laughs> That's why we pay you the big bucks, Jay. <laughs> the uh, I thought I thought the end of the third quarter was worse than the fourth. Um, I actually thought Jason Tatum was awesome in the fourth. He had a ton of big shots. He made a lot of good reads. the The thing that stood out to me the most, beyond like just getting punked by Julius Randle and stuff inside and missing some opportunities defensively was offensively like they kept going to basically like a, a pick and pop with Marcus Martin, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is standing in the corner or Jalen Brown wasn't in the game for a little while. And I'm thinking to myself, like why? Like they are running this play <laughs> to get Marcus smart who's shooting less than 30% from three, three point looks. And well, that was not the goal of it. It's just the way the Knicks were defending it. Well, but of course, the Knicks are going to defend it that way, right? Yes. Like, what else was going to come out of that play other than the Knicks double teaming Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart getting wide open threes? Which, if you want that, fine. And he hit a couple of them. He went two for six, which isn't that atrocious. But the the lack of willingness or ability to get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the same actions or get Robert Williams and Jason Tatum in an action. And I think I think it all stems back to they don't have enough shooting on the court. Like, they've got Dennis Schroeder spacing in the corner. What the hell is that going to do? Honestly, what the hell is that going to do? Why is he on the court if he's going to be spacing in the corner? Is there a point? I don't get it. And... And I think Ime Udoka has to really, really think about changing up his closing lineup, taking out Schroeder or Smart. My pick would be Schroeder because he doesn't do as much defensively and because alongside Tatum and Brown, you don't really want him handling the ball. Like You'd rather have those guys with the ball in their hands. 
and I'd rather have smart making decisions. So I think Ime at some point has to put more shooting on the court. He has to. Maybe that's using Grant Williams at the four. Maybe that's, you know, trying Peyton Pritchard in that lineup and, and seeing how that works. Maybe that's dusting off Aaron Neesmith, who has been doing God knows what on the bench <laughs> for the, the past couple of games since coming out of health and safety protocols. But, you know, it's not enough to just say in your press conference, well, no matter what I do, we're not, we're going to have some bad shooters out there. It's like, you got to at least try to put good shooters out there. This is happening over and over and over again. And you just keep trotting out Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. And those guys together have a 98-point-something offensive rating this year, which would be dead last in the league if it belonged to a team. And the defensive rating in those lineups have been fine, has been fine, has been really good, actually. But you need more spacing. You need more options. You need more places for Jason Tatum to kick it out so that he doesn't have to hit tough shot after tough shot and that all his reads aren't throwing the ball to a guy who's shooting 30%-ish from three. Like, it just, you can't have that. So maybe it's they need to just trade trade Schroeder and get somebody, just get him out of there. Get somebody, Maybe they get somebody who can shoot. Maybe they don't even get somebody who can shoot. Maybe they just force Ime Odoka to put somebody else in there. But the lineups that he is using late in games have not worked all season. And at some point, it's not like he keeps talking about mental toughness and and you know he said they get rattled and maybe that's the case i think that's been the case sometimes during late in games i thought they actually like tatum made good play after good play good read after good read against new york and it didn't matter because they weren't putting him in a position that his good reads were going to be successful yeah it was wild to me that that was Eme's reaction after the game like i after kind of those two losses where really they ran the same play at the end of the Spurs games. I think they like Jalen, uh, basically they sort of, uh, run that play where Jalen or I think it was Jalen more in the Spurs game, but it is, uh, in the Knicks game, it's like Rob Williams sets a kind of screen near the foul line. Tatum comes off, catching it, going away. And then they run the kind of the on ball screen with smart and it didn't work. And for, he made a call out his team and like their lack of mental toughness is ridiculous because he's the one who's in charge and he's the one you have some sort of control as the coach to call plays and to, I don't know, maybe try something different. Maybe try getting Robert Williams involved. Jalen Brown, I don't think touched the ball in the fourth quarter. It seemed like uh, it was pretty much all Tatum making the right read and, yeah, they were inviting Marcus Smart to shoot. I don't have any problem with Marcus Smart taking. I didn't have any problem with the shots he took either. He My- took six open threes. Like I think the problem is that Marcus Smart caught a lot of those passes when the ball swinging from Dennis Schroeder. Like if you have another guy, a shooter in that position, maybe Marcus Smart's in the corner, and you just have a guy who's like a more reliable shooter there. Maybe that opens up room for Jason Tatum. It's just the closing with Dennis doesn't make any sense to me. And I think Ime, I, I could have used a lot of like Brad Stevens, 
growth mindset, leadership stuff where like you take responsibility for anything that happens out there because in the fourth quarter, Ime only played six guys. And so that involves either Marcus and Dennis being on the court together or involves going double bigs. But no matter what the lineup is, you have just two non-shooters on the court. Al Horford. At least two non-shooters. At least. Sometimes three. Sometimes you can go three if you put Dennis um actually Marcus, i would say Al, it was Ura. always three it was pretty much three non-shooters on the court for the entire fourth quarter which is just a problem now there is a problem with the roster it's not like they have ample shooting that they're just not going to i think you i mean you could argue that neesmith is that pritchard was uh i think he's in protocol so he's not available i do like maybe to give Ime some slack richardson and grant williams played five minutes in the third quarter and were both minus 13. So they weren't that effective there, but I I would prefer to see both of them on the court right now at this point, just because they're, I think better shooters than rich or than Dennis. Although Dennis had a, a pretty good um, shooting performance in the first half and they just don't hurt you defensively. I mean, I don't think the Celtics played like atrocious Defense, uh, Evan Fournier, who is absolutely possessed when only playing against the Celtics, was hitting some absurd shots, just absolutely insane shots. I do think if you put Marcus Smart in the – like you take Dennis out and you put in a larger defender and you put some more size on Fournier, maybe he's not able to kind of get those shots off with ease. But just it's ludicrous for Ime to run out the same losing lineups. Closing with Dennis has not worked the entire year. Like he's going to get you those kind of like mid shots in the paint where you can do some fancy dribbling and some spin moves. And yes, Dennis has an ability to knock down those shots, but it just doesn't make sense for Ime to kind of like throw his players under the bus when he's the one continually trying just a failing strategy. Like at some point you have to do something to fix all that or like to at least try something different. A, a new lineup, a new play, even a new uh, like have a new guy set a screen. Maybe just don't do the exact same thing over and over again. Yeah, and to me, like, okay, how could the Celtics be more successful? Right, like, what could they do to put themselves in better situations? Well, Al Horford always makes good decisions, right? And I know he hasn't shot the ball well, but like. He's going to like try picking pops with him sometimes. That will give you more ball movement. It will give you more player movement. It will give you some different look. He's a, he's always been a pressure like pressure release for the ball handler. They haven't tried that ever in the fourth quarter. I don't know, and it's tough when like if if he's going to be playing double bigs, you can't really go to that. Has did Robert Williams get like one opportunity? Did he roll to, to the basket to, once? to run to run a pick and roll during the fourth quarter? I don't think so. And part of that again is the lack of shooting. Like if you can't have sh- shooting on the court, everyone's going to be cramped. It's going to be really tough to throw a lob pass to Robert Williams, even though he can jump over just about anyone. And so everything comes back to a lack of shooting. Everything comes back to Ime Udoka's decision to often play 
Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart and a big man alongside Tatum and Brown. And I get it. Like, you think those are your four best perimeter players. They don't work together. <laughs> they haven't worked together all year. Jason it's because they're not. It's because they're not tough, though. Mentally, it's not uh, because they just don't work together or their skill sets. Well, it's because well, of their lack of mental toughness. I, I I do get the like. Okay, this this year they're not going to contend, right? It's just not going to happen at all. We've already seen that. That is abundantly clear. So I get putting guys out there and trying to force them to become something they haven't been so far. Like, stop being ISO guys. Play more together. But the thing is, like, the mix of those players with the lack of shooting with Smart and Schroeder and a bunch of guys who would rather get their own shot than somebody else involved. And actually, like, the Celtics really wasted what I thought was an awesome Jason Tatum performance. He passed the ball so well. He made all the right plays. And it didn't matter. <laughs> like, he hit the shot to tie it. It didn't matter. He he was fantastic during that fourth quarter. And when, when Ime Odoka says, I'm looking for a calming presence, well, Jason Tatum made like 10 plays that should have been that calming presence. And... It didn't matter because the Celtics weren't putting themselves in position to succeed around him. And I think this roster needs to change. I think if it doesn't, Udoka needs to change his lineups. I think there could be something to the fact that these guys are playing huge minutes. Like Tatum is near the top of the league in minutes. Jalen Brown plays a ton of minutes. At the end of games, the cumulative effect of that could matter. They could be run into the ground by the time they get to the fourth quarter. So there's just a lot of factors that go into these collapses, but they happen over and over again. And they happen to bad teams. They happen good against bad teams. They happen against good teams. They happen against anybody. It doesn't freaking matter. So... There's a lot, a lot, a lot that these Celtics need to fix. And, uh, well, they, uh, waived Jabari Parker. So maybe that will be the fix that this, uh, the Celtics team needed. You mentioned that they're clearly not going to contend this year. I think that's fairly obvious. I think it probably should have been, uh, clearer to us, uh, earlier in the year, just given what the, the roster, uh, has in the lack of shooting. Um, I mean, I thought the depth was kind of, was going to be something that they could rely on, but I was, I think I was also, uh, anticipating getting a lot more from Pritchard and Neesmith and actually having, uh, Pritchard and Neesmith kind of get more opportunities if they're not going to contend, which seems like pretty clear at this point. At what point do you do you pivot to like full development mode? Because at some point you got to figure out what you have in Pritchard, Neesmith. I would put Romeo Langford in there, and you need to just have them play minutes. And so 
if you're pivoting to development mode, if you're pivoting to kind of like trying to get guys to grow, it feels like every minute that Schroeder and Richardson, and I say to an extent Al Horford is on the court taking minutes away from the young guys, I don't see how that necessarily benefits the the ball club in a, in a long-term fashion. So if you're the Celtics, like they have a real opportunity in – I don't think you can like really pack it in right now just because it's been two bad losses. But if things don't turn around by the end of this month, like I would hope that at the trade deadline, they're looking to trade Schroeder, Nies- or Schroeder Richardson, and maybe Al Horford, uh, although he's got a kind of non-guaranteed contract next year. So it's like less of an issue. But like if you want to kind of have any, like to start anywhere on just kind of changing this roster around. It feels like getting rid of kind of the, the vets who are not really contributing to winning is the first step in that process. Yeah. But I, I think like this, this has gone on for, this is a second season now where Tatum and Brown have been in a very difficult situation and partly from their own doing like if they were better passers if they were better playmakers if they were more and i i i I like to point this out every time i say this because tatum is above brown as a passer it's very clear like he's he's on a totally different level as a decision maker um but if both those guys were better at all that stuff, it wouldn't matter as much that the rest of the team isn't. But the rest of the team isn't, and those guys. But but, but we just saw Jason Tatum make every pass he needed to make, and he was not surrounded by shooters. So even though he's like clearly developed as a playmaker, is still quite limited in kind of the impact he can have. Agreed, but I but I also think so. If if you're going to get rid of all the veterans, um, who, especially like a guy like Al. He can really make things easier for those guys. And can, can he if he's only shooting like twenty percent from three? Like yeah, Al is so makes, much less effective than if he's not knocking down outside shots. But he still makes all the right decisions. He's still always going to be in the right spot. He's still going to do a lot of right things. So yes, I think Al Horford makes the game easier for them. I think Josh Richardson has been totally fine. Um, I still think the supporting cast needs a total overhaul. Like. They thought the Celtics thought they could get a bunch of competitive guys and put them all together and that the final result would be just a tough team that overwhelms teams with competitive spirit. And it's really tough to be tough and competitive and to beat teams with those two traits when you ha- don't have enough shooting, you don't have enough passing, you don't have enough basketball intelligence. And basketball intelligence is the thing that I think stands out the most. And the thing that can be very tough to find, very tough to value. But if if you bring guys who know how to cut, who know how to when to space, who know how to make the right read and the right decision in the big moments then then that would really matter. And I think the more you have of that, the easier the game becomes for everybody else. Like you look at the Warriors 
The Celtics are not the Warriors. Jason Tatum is not Steph Curry. Jalen Brown is not Draymond Green. But they went out and they got a whole bunch of guys who know how to play basketball. They found Gary Payton II, who was on the absolute scrap heap. They picked up Otto Porter. They picked up Nemanja Bielica, like guys that weren't super valued, but they know how to play. Andre Iguodala, they they know how to cut. They know like, okay, we're running a set. Let's wait for shit to get open before we go and try to make a play ourselves. You know, and it's just yeah. But they the Warriors also have guys like Jordan Poole or I think even Andrew Wiggins. The Warriors weren't great last year. I I agree with you that they like picked up some solid pieces. But they also had a struggle, like a, a down year where guys learned how to play with their stars. And I think there is some value in kind of allowing that to develop. I, I agree with you that the Celtics need to have a better roster, but I think they have a hot like bringing in a, a veteran player like Richardson or Schroeder and trying to like hoping that they adapt to Tatum, I don't think is going to necessarily bear as much fruit as especially if they're already losing a bunch of basketball games. Like, I don't understand what they but, have but, more to lose by putting, jo- like trying to develop, like teach Pritchard no, but, and Neesmith and Langford how to play like that. This is my point. The Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson are not like super high IQ guys. They're not guys who are super skilled, who who can shoot your face off. Exactly. So get them out of town. They're not guys, but I, I'm, I just wouldn't put Al Horford in that mix. Like I, I if if the Celtics they should trade Dennis Schroeder at this point. They have no reason to keep him around. He's not helping them, especially at the end of games. Like that mix has just been bad. Um so they should trade Dennis Schroeder. Josh Richardson's been fine. If you want to keep him around, like he doesn't play a ton of minutes. He doesn't play closing minutes. He's not like blocking this team from success in the way that I think Schroeder sort of has. It's not all his fault. It's just like it doesn't fit. Um, I was just looking at Richardson and Horford more so from a salary cap perspective of like who are the top guys uh, like at the top of the roster who are making the most amount of money. Horford, like you are paying Al Horford $27 million this year. I know he has like a half guarantee next year. Richardson's making $12 million next year. I was just looking at like, if you can get off those guys' salary, you probably are still around the salary cap line because the Celtics are, are way over right now. And so I don't know if even if that gets you under, but I'm just in terms of I feel like last offseason was all about like kind of getting flexibility for this upcoming offseason. I feel like getting off those guys will just would give you more flexibility to maybe bring in Smart guys, uh, high IQ basketball players, as you put it, uh, to try and do it again next season. And I just think, like, I, I agree that Richardson's not exactly blocking the path. I like, and I have no problem with them actually keeping Al Horford. I just think you owe it, like, you, at some point, you've got to give your draft picks a chance to prove it. Like, they didn't sign, they signed uh, Jabari Parker instead of Garrison Matthews this year. Now, uh, that guy, given the opportunity, a bunch of minutes, has already made like 153s this year. And like that's because he had a chance to play. I'm sure he's made a lot of mistakes, but how are you ever going to figure out what you have in Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith or Peyton Pritchard if they just don't get an opportunity to play? 
like if you're not winning basketball games, then I don't see any reason not to be playing playing the kids alongside uh, the stars to see if they can kind of eventually be something uh, or someone that could complement them. Yeah, and I think the the keeping of Jabari Parker and the waving of Garrison Matthews, like, would that have totally changed this Celtics team? No, I don't think so. Would would it have possibly helped this season? Yes. Would it have possibly helped more down the road? Yes. And and it highlights that the Celtics have squandered opportunities around the fringes of their roster for a while now. You know, you, you go back to the draft pick that could have been Desmond Bain or Max Struess, who's been very good for the Heat now, is shooting 41% from three. They didn't keep him. They let him go to the Chicago Bulls. They also let Javante Green go to the Chicago Bulls. He's been good in Chicago in a, a different role than the Celtics used him in. And so it's like, okay, would those guys have been in the same roles for the Celtics? Maybe not, but why not? <laughs> right? Like, why Why are the Celtics not finding ways to utilize guys that then go elsewhere and play better? And I go back to the early Brad Stevens years, right? When they had Evan Turner, who played probably the best basketball of, of his career. When they had Jay Crowder, who played some of the best basketball of his career. When they had Isaiah Thomas, who clearly played the best basketball of his career. They were great at finding those guys and identifying those guys and putting them in positions to succeed. For whatever reason, over the last three-ish years, they have not been good at identifying those types of guys. They have not been good at putting those guys in position to succeed when they did have them on the roster, they have not been good at keeping them around long enough to uncover what they could have been in the case of Struess, in the case of maybe Javante Green, in the case of some of these other guys. And and that stuff all matters. It matters a lot. And I don't know whether that's coaching. I don't know whether that's just bad luck. Like, like sometimes it's, it's just bad luck. Like Max Struess, was he good enough two years ago to play in the NBA? No, no, he he wasn't good enough in Boston. He wasn't good enough when he went to Chicago, but he got good, and and the Celtics missed out on that. And stuff like that matters. Stuff like that when you're trying to build an NBA team, and when you have now. You're now basically getting nothing from two consecutive lottery picks in Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. And guys that you kept or that you moved on from have gone elsewhere and are are playing very well. And and it's it doesn't say anything good about what the Celtics have done. And you could say they wouldn't get those same touches, sure, but why not? Why wouldn't they? This is an offense that's ranked in the twenties. Why couldn't they use a Max Struess or a Garrison Matthews? Like, wh- why are we just saying they wouldn't do that here? Well, why? Because because Romeo Langford's playing like 20 minutes a game and, and scoring eight or nine points per 36 minutes? Like, like that's why? Because Josh Richardson's in town and, 
and he's shooting okay and he's playing okay and like he's fine or because Dennis Schroeder is playing 30 minutes a game and dribbling the ball way too much and and blocking opportunities from other guys like those are the reasons that's the reasons why those are not good reasons so they need you have to, to question the the like I think the the approach of the team and maybe are they victims of their own success like making the Eastern Conference Finals in that bubble year um they thought like, oh, we have a chance to compete and like really go out and like there's an expectation of contending every single season. And maybe that seems like that expectation is pretty unrealistic. But if you have an expectation to we're going to make a playoff run every single year, maybe it leads you to do things like sign Tristan Thompson or sign Dennis Schroeder or like try to sign kind of vets on the fringes to try and bolster your roster when it's not a, a real honest assessment of what you have. Like I think Kemba Walker getting hurt was like obviously something that they couldn't control, but they should have anticipated taking a much larger step back when you lose a guy like Gordon Hayward. And it feels like the kind of the brilliance of those Brad Stevens teams, those early Brad Stevens teams is they always outperformed expectations. Like they, no one ever uh, anticipated that those teams were going to go deep and it kind of, allowed them to kind of discover random guys or turn Jordan Clarkson or not Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Crawford into Eastern conference player of the week. Like you could use a bunch of guys. You keep on looking for new people and you just try them out and like try to develop them. It feels like the Celtics have kind of abandoned the idea of, of developing players because of this, I guess it's desire to compete or uh, to go deep, but it's led to just bad signings where you're letting a bunch of guys leave who could possibly develop in the future. You mentioned Struess. A lot of Max Bruce talk on this podcast, which I'm always a fan of, but letting Javante Green go, Garrison Matthews, and then just bringing in veterans who have not worked out. Uh, Tristan Thompson was a spectacular failure. I think Dennis is proving to not be an effective signing. Then you get uh, Richardson, which I get because you're just using the kind of the trade exception and he fits in it, but then you re-sign him again for uh, longer term. Like it just... It feels like they don't know exactly what their identity is. And at this point, it's a young team that should be trying to build its way up, not a team that should kind of expect to be competing in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think they should blow it up. Like, I like Michael Pina, but his idea to trade Jalen Brown for DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, and two first-round picks was completely asinine to me. Like, Would you it say just, it was poppycock? I think it was 100% poppycock. Um, and I'd say it to Pina's bald face, but... Uh, I like, like that you just, made a bald joke about I, Pina. Like if, if you're going to borrow Love poppycock from me, uh, I'm going to start having making fun of Pina being bald, uh, borrow that from you. Like I just don't think blowing it up makes sense. You have two young stars who are 23 and 24 respectively... I think it's more about like changing perspective and not trying to go for the win now move every year, like trying to do things that will kind of put them in the best position to win. Clearly it's not going to be this season, but like, can you build a young P uh, or get a young piece in there who will kind of grow with them next season? And then maybe like two years down the line, then you're in a, like when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are entering their primes, like are in the best, like, situation to kind of then contend. I think it's about changing perspective at this point and just realizing 
we are a young team on the rise and like, let's do what we can. So to put our young stars in the best uh, opportunity, not to win necessarily right now, just because I don't think they're Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I don't think Jason Tatum's a top 10 player in the game so far, or is the type of guy who can just like will you to an Eastern conference finals. I don't, I think he could be there in two seasons. He's still quite young, but it's about like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be a developing team or a growing team and a win now team. And it but, feels like the Celtics have tried that for the past basically six seasons to try to basically be both. Like they but, wanted the to be the, the three-star teams and we're going to develop Jason and Jalen. Like you have to choose one path and it doesn't feel like they have a clear path moving forward. But why can't you develop guys – and try to win at the same time. You can try like, to win, but you're like, if you if you're like committed to developing guys, you're going to have to accept that you're like. But but I'm saying last, last year, talent. last year, the Miami Heat were definitely in win mode, and Max Struess played in 39 games, and they developed him on the side. They did what basically what they did with Duncan Robinson, and turned him into a great three point shooter. Now maybe well, the Celtics are doing that with Aaron Neesmith right now. Maybe no, well, he's not playing thirty nine games. <laughs> maybe behind the scenes he is becoming a knockdown three point shooter and figuring it all out and developing in ways that will make him useful down the road. And maybe we're not being patient enough with a guy like that. But like. No, you, you can do that. Like, but they should be playing him and Peyton Pritchard this year. Like you went through a pretty shitty year last year that was had a bad roster, but it had a lot of moments where Peyton Pritchard and Neesmith, more so for Neesmith towards the end of the season, played a lot of minutes and it felt like they got a lot better. And so right now the Celtics are basically getting the same exact result of being a five hundred team, but they're not doing that of like allowing guys to develop. I think that's the issue, is like I think people would be a lot more understanding as well, or I would hope fans would be a lot more understanding if basically the Celtics were getting the same results, but they were failing and guys like Pritchard and guys like Neesmith, I don't know, Romeo may be a lost cause at this point, but those guys were like learning and getting better and like taking steps moving forward. It just feels like to lose with vets right now is not helping like the just general trajectory of the organization at this point. Like, I do think they could have, like, they are three games under 500 right now. I don't think they would be much worse position if Peyton Pritchard was your backup point guard and Aaron Neesmith was getting more minutes. Like, I just, like, they couldn't be in a far worse position than they are now when they're 12th place in the Eastern Conference. Like, they should be developing the, the young guys, at least just to, to know definitively like whether or not they're NBA players. I just like, I just, whatever they're doing right now is clearly not working. And so if, if they're going to lose, why not lose and at least play the youth? The youth? The youth. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, let's go to the, uh, the audience. We are in the athletic live room. So if anyone's the 50, 60 people are with us here, want to raise their hand, join in, give their two cents. They can. Jonathan R has been waiting patiently. Jonathan, how are you doing? Um, you know, as, uh, as a fan of the Celtics that whose mental health is unfortunately tied to the team, I'm, I'm, I've been better. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I feel that. Uh, and the greatest part is that we can blame everybody. We can blame the players. We can blame the coach. We can blame the front office. That's fun. Um, I have uh, a question, and it's about Ime. Um, Jim, you have so eloquently called him a hardo, and I agree. <laughs> um, my real question is, so there, there have been good hardo coaches in the league, but who was the last coach that was like a straight-up hardo like him? that has actually won anything? That's a good question. I uh, I mean, I feel like Pop's kind of a hardo. I was just like, going to say Pop. Okay, when, when, did, when was the last time he won, right? And what was the state of the league in that? So I think the league, when he was winning, like I'm talking about the championship. I'm not talking about having winning seasons, right? So – I think the league was in transition at that point because now the coaches that tend to win are your Steve Kerr's. Your, I mean, I'm not talking about coaches. That I think have Eric Spolstra is a hardo too. Okay, all right. Well, I guess my question's been answered. <laughs> I guess that was easier than I thought it was. I'm I think so he's a hardo. You know, they're they're like heat culture. We got to be tougher than you. We got to out tough you. We we got to be ready to play more minutes than you. Um, who else? Yeah, but but I I, I understand your point and. Honestly, like, uh, we can say whatever we want about Ime being a hard or whatever. It doesn't really matter what he says to us as long as it doesn't piss off the players. And I know, like, behind the scenes, they're they're talking about all the, the different reads. They're talking about different, um, like, a much more nuanced basketball conversation than just w- let's not get rattled down the stretch. So, so I I wouldn't take it as that's the only thing he cares about. Obviously, he he keeps bringing it up, and he has harped on it over and over again. But he's also teaching basketball stuff, and and so that, I wouldn't take it as like that's all he cares about. That that would be my my one point of caution. Um, like it, it's not like he doesn't know basketball and isn't teaching them basketball. He is. Has it gotten through to them? No, <laughs> not yet. 
the team clearly keeps faltering in the same ways. And I do think he needs to be less rigid with some of his lineup choices, especially down the stretch. But I also think, you know, how many games have the Celtics had with their whole roster or their full rotation available? Not many. And and so I understand him wanting to give it a chance with the rotations and the closing lineups and that he thought would be successful. So I, I get some of that, but I also think he needs to be quicker to change, especially now as the evidence piles up that especially that the four best players or the guys that he thinks are the best perimeter players, at least smart Schroeder, Tatum and Brown can't really thrive together offensively at all. And to defend Ime a little bit, I think he is a hardo. That's mostly just like <laughs> making fun of his uh, his public persona. I don't. I don't think he's like a. I don't think he. Uh, I still think he's like a player's coach because I think the players really respect him. I think he is much more willing to kind of, I guess, criticize them in the media. But to defend him a little bit is he is still in his first year of being a head coach in the NBA. It's just not something that normally is a, a whopping success unless you are given a kind of roster that is ready to contend, unless you are Steve Nash or you are Nick Nurse. Generally, first-year coaches struggle. And so I think we're seeing him struggle. I agree with you, Jay, that he needs to kind of be quicker to adjust. Um, but a lot of people, any time, like the fire email thing is like, I don't know. That seems a little bit absurd to me. Like, but I think it goes back to what I'm saying about like the organizational philosophy or like what the uh, approach is. It's like, if you have a first year head coach, you should be able to like accept bumps and bruises and understand that it's not really going to go well. And so I like think it's like, you should be playing a kind of a longer game and um, don't put Ime in a position where he's even allowed to play Dennis. Like, don't put him in a, in a situation where he can fail by having Dennis even be an option. I think it just comes back to uh, blaming Dennis. But, uh, wow, we got the, – the phone lines are blowing up, so we'll try to get through. Hold, as- w- one more thing. Um, I also think it's important to pay attention when players kind of stick up for him. And they've done a lot of that. Jalen oh, Brown. Oh, yeah, I think the players, like, really like him and respect him. Yeah, Jalen Brown has said, you know, Emei's great. No matter how many bad reads I've made, Emei has trusted me. Robert Williams was like, he sees something in me I, I don't even see in myself. He's really pushing me, and it's great to have a coach like that. When he said the Celtics got rattled down the stretch, Robert Williams was like, yeah, he's right. We get rattled, <laughs> which was a, a hilarious line. Like, you don't really admit that, man. Uh, but, like, Guys have stayed on his side no matter how bad it's gotten, and it's gotten pretty bad. So I, I think it's important to pay attention to that too. All right, we got seven people on the line right now, so we're going to get to everyone. So if you're on, just wait, and I will do my best to get to you. Right now we're going to Tom S. Tom, how are you doing? Hi, guys. How are we doing? Um, I've, I've got to ask the question. Uh, in the last live room, you guys were telling uh, everyone that you thought it was going to be a positive month, and you thought it was going to be a positive record by quite – some way, and uh, I must say, my mental health improved from that comment. I thought, oh, nice one, Tom. You're overthinking it, Tom. You're overthinking it. Sam King's telling me it's going to be all right. I'm fine, we're fine. We're fine. Uh, but um, from what I've seen in these uh, last two games, I can't say I was smiling and laughing uh, very much. I'm just wondering, <laughs> is your opinion still 
that we are going to see this month out uh, with a positive record in terms of the month, not necessarily over 500 record? Uh, it, it has not gotten no. off to a good start. <laughs> the Celtics had like three games ago, they were about to enter a six game stretch of all sub 500 opponents with, I think four of those games at home. If they had not come back from 14 points in the final four minutes against the dreadful Orlando magic, they would be zero three in that stretch. So the fact, how do you lose blow four, four 19 point leads? If they had not blown four 19 point leads this season, they would be 22 and 17, which would be totally fine. The entire Man, conversation. We'd be sitting pretty here, Todd. Everything would be different. The entire conversation would be so different. It would be, oh, Emay's done a fine job. <laughs> it would be, oh, Brad put a supporting cast that like isn't going to contend, but it's like also okay and isn't hindering the organization's growth. So those four blown leads of 19 points or more, which is insane, by the way. How do you do that? They are so huge right now. And and it, it, Jason Tatum said it after uh, the, the which debacle was it? Not the Knicks debacle, the Spurs debacle. He's like, yeah, there are like six or seven games where we were so close. And if we had just won all of those... We'd be in a much different place. He's like, we're close. And I actually think they're closer than it seems. Like, as 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 bad as this has been, and as gross as it has gotten in fourth quarters, if they clean up a few things along the way, they're a totally fine team. Now, are they super far away from contending? Yes. Yes, obviously. But they're not far away from being, like, competitive good team again at all. They're very close. No, they have like six or seven losses by less than five points. Like I do, the I can't tell if it's just the completely irrational part of my brain, but like I still look at the schedule on the rest of January and go like, they could put together a string of uh, wins here. Now, I obviously said the exact same thing about four days ago, and like they should have beat both the Spurs and the Knicks. They should absolutely beat the Knicks tonight. I would be shocked if they don't like come out and try and like play a much better basketball game against uh the Knicks back in TD Garden but like they have the capability if they can just put things together like they're playing such a bad schedule the rest of January I still believe that they have the ability to kind of string together wins but just like the fact that they've given up giant leads the fact that they can't score in the fourth quarter Generally, those are things that are pretty impactful when it comes down to winning basketball games, uh, and especially close basketball games. And so I just – I don't have confidence in them winning a bunch of games, I feel like, but they have like – like you looked at the December schedule, and I'm like, oh, they have no chance. I feel like they're going to be in a lot of basketball games. I just uh, don't know uh, if they're going to be closers. And like they have an opportunity to kind of turn the, the narrative of the season around, but – your guess is as good as mine if they actually kind of pull it off. We'll go to Neil G right now. Neil, what's going on? Neil G. 
nothing. G for gone. For gone. John B. How you doing, John? John B. reminds me of Outer Banks, which is Uh, a a horrible but yet great show. Show really fell off in the second season for me. It Um, was absurd. Some of the most (laughs) absurd shit of all time happened. And it just kept topping itself in absurdity. But for some reason, I still enjoyed it. Let's go to Old Reliable. June. June, I know know you're going to be there and you're going to bring the heat. What's going on, June? June the God. Saturday morning, and I'm listening to uh, listening to you two talk about the Celtics. So it's either really good or I'm down pretty bad. <laughs> I would say probably the latter, right. but also kind um, of the former. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've I've got kind of a rant uh, in defense of Ime. I mean, going back to last season, I felt the same way about about the dialogue about Brad. Um, just to just to defend him a little bit, I think. Like, people like myself, when you watch every game, you question every little coaching decision, right? Like, the first first game, people were questioning whether um, they whether Ime should have rolled with NS Freedom over Al Horford because down the stretch, they just, like, blew that 15-point lead. Like, this was the first one. I mean, now people are questioning whether, like, um, Ime should have, Josh Richardson or Grant Williams is not exactly Clay Thompson over Dennis Schroeder <laughs> because of the shooting, right? And like, those, I mean, I think those questioning those decisions are fair. But when you look at the bigger picture, like most of the blame needs to go to the players. And if you think the players are problematic, then it needs to go to the front office, right? Like, if you think Dennis Schroeder is a problem, then like you should question why didn't Brad Stevens just stay away? I get it. It was six million bucks, like it's hard to pass up on him. But if you truly think that he's not a good fit, then that goes on the front office, right? Like if you don't think NS Freedom should play, but if your front office signed him as a third big, then that's a problem with the front office. And I think the reality of the situation is that the roster just doesn't have enough shooting. So like, yeah, you look at the percentages, and you're like, oh, maybe Josh Richardson or Brian Williams is going to save us because they're like, prime Clay Thompson just sitting on the bench <laughs> for Dennis Schroeder, which is just not the case, guys. Like, that's just not true. So, like, and honestly, there were, and in the beginning of the season, there were just too many games where we were like, oh, if Jason Tatum shot better, we would have won the game. And then there was, and then there's a series of games where, like, if Jalen Brown made the right read over and over, maybe we would have won the game. So, like, it's fine to blame Ime for some of those, like, coaching decisions, and I agree with, like, some of the criticisms. But in the bigger picture, like, the best players haven't done enough. I mean, Kaden was great in the New York game. But, like, there were plenty of games throughout the season where they just didn't get the job done. And then overall on the roster, just not enough shooting. So I think a lot of the blame needs to go to players and the front office more than more so than the coach. I think that's a – of course, Jude came with the with the heat. I think it's a, a very fair point. Like well, We might need to if, add, Ju- add June as a co-host. <laughs> but if Jason Tatum shows up – I feel like Jude is better game, at this than we are. He probably is. Um, but if Jason Tatum shows up in the Spurs game, like they, it's not a close game. I mean, that's a very fair point. And I feel like there's been a lot of games where it's like, oh, yeah, no, Tatum just uh, didn't have it tonight. And it's like the Celtics, as constructed – they can't really survive a night where Jason Tatum doesn't have it or 
Oh, yeah, Jalen Brown didn't show up in the fourth quarter against the Knicks. Well, you know what would have been helpful? <laughs> Jalen Brown showed up in the fourth quarter against the Knicks. And so I do think it ultimately comes down to those two star players. I mean, ha- like, hashtag blame Dennis all you want. I don't think he should be on the court. But I think June is right in that, like, ultimately the team's going to go as far as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to take them. And right now they're just not at the level of, of like, being stars where they are consistent enough to like bring it every single night. And so I don't mean, I don't like think that means you should blow it up, but I also think it means you should temper expectations just because they're not superstars yet. They're still 23 and 24 and they don't have it uh, on a consistent enough basis. And so I do think there's like a, yeah, (laughs) it's the simplest explanation is just like, Oh, the best players are not, like being consistently great enough uh, for this team to consistently win basketball games. Indeed. All right, let's go to Dion S. Dion. Dion Sanders. I hope so. Prime. Are you there, Prime? I don't think it was Prime. Um, I bet all right. it was Prime. <laughs> let's go to Mitch P. Mitch. Hey, 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 Jay, can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. sir. Perfect. Well, I mean, going back to a little bit what June said, you know, talking a little bit about the roster construction, I think that a a lot of people had assumed this offseason that we were going to kind of be punting on the season with the acquisitions of maybe uh, a Dennis or maybe someone else like that. And and Jam, I'm going to I'm going to play to your uh, your um, what's the word for it? Uh, I don't know your strengths of blame Dennis. (laughs) <laughs> who do you think would want Dennis at this point? And what do you think we could get for him? Just, just hypotheticals. I mean, I personally think like the Mavericks, you know, with their kind of roster construction might take a, uh, a, a swing on him. But, you know, what, what do you think we could get for him? Because I think that, you know, the only way you win the Dennis experiment this year is if you trade him and try to get an asset back. But that'll. Yeah, I think. Um... Uh... It's tough. The Mavericks stand out. The Cavs, the Cavs maybe with their injury stuff. I don't know if rate like Rondo is necessarily going to work out. The Nuggets are a possible team just because I think they need some help scoring. Um, I don't know. Like I don't even know what like the reasonable ask back for Dennis is at this point. Like I don't think it would be a time. It would first round pick at this. No, maybe like two seconds. Maybe. Yeah, Something I mean like that, that sounds about right, but yeah, it's two seconds and the opportunity to give Peyton Pritchard more minutes. I mean that's that's a win in itself. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I've been saying that all years that they should uh, things are going well if they trade Dennis and uh, pay Peyton Pritchard. But those are the teams that uh, kind of stand out to me right now. I'm trying to just like look at like the lowest teams in or like bottom ten teams like the Celtics in offense who maybe got kind of want a, a, a burst of scoring. Um, maybe I'll go back to Los Angeles. They seem to be struggling, um, but uh, we shall see. We have Dion S back. Uh, hopefully this is prime and they're ready to talk. Dion, how's it going? Can you guys hear me now? Yes, sir. All right. Bye. Fantastic. Well, Mitch came in and just stole my question. I was going to say, <laughs> I agree with Packard that, uh, the team is better off just trying to trade Dennis and giving uh, Pritchard those minutes. And I was going to ask if you guys thought we could get a first out of him, but yeah, he just kind of came in and stole my question. So, is your last name Sanders? What is that it? Is what I, 
is your last name Sanders? No, no, it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunate. I'm not sure you were primetime. <laughs> I think it's tough. Uh, I'm like, Mitch did swoop in there and steal your question. And so that's uh, primetime got intercepted in a role reversal. Oh, wow. You're a, you're a poet there. I just don't think there's a lot of teams right now who want uh, Dennis Schroeder. It's almost like it should have been a red flag that uh, you were able to get him for $6 million when no other team wanted him. Maybe uh should have uh, seen that as his potential value right now. But there's no other teams that really stand out as like they need a guard off the bench who can give you points. But who knows? Maybe Dennis would have value in, in a different situation, but I don't know uh, – if you're going to get a lot for him, but you also don't necessarily need to get that much. Like I think just getting Dennis off and getting some picks back for him and allowing Peyton Pritchard to play, like that's a win enough. All right. We'll see. We'll try and John B one more time. Maybe he's calling from the outer banks. John B how's it going? Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Great. Great. Um, so I have a question for, uh, <clears throat> for Jay King. First of all, I think you guys are really funny, and um, I appreciate all that you guys do. Um, Thank you, sir. But I can't help but, um, you know, just think through my observance that, like, it just seems that whenever one of the Jays play, whether it's Tatum or Brown, we just play better. We're a better team. I mean, look at the Suns game. I feel like no one really talks about that. Um, yeah, they were, you know, they didn't have Aiton, but they had Book and Chris Paul, and we beat them pretty handedly. And obviously, you know, Jalen played that game. Um, he was the main ball handler. He wasn't that good. I mean, he had a lot of turnovers. But I just feel that, um, you know, that, that's how I feel. And I come to the conclusion that um, they just don't know their role when they're when they're on the floor. Maybe they just, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they don't like each other because that's BS. But I just feel that it's just hot. Like, you know, they're two upcoming superstars. They're just trying to find their way. Um, and I'm starting to think that, <clears throat> obviously, I don't want them, you know, they're really good and they're, they're talented, but I'm, I'm really starting to think that you have to just give up on one of them. And honestly, either one is, is, is I think, good enough to to really become, you know, a, a kind of a front runner. I mean, you, you've just seen that. Like, you, you see that all the time with, with Tatum and Brown whenever one of them out. And then one more question, um, very quick one. Uh, do you believe that Tatum lacks some type of intensity, some type of passion? Um, I just feel that he'd like, he's not, he's not angry when he loses. I just feel that obviously, you know, like when you win, you're happy, but he's not pissed when he loses. Um, and you know, Marcus Smart is my favorite player for that reason. He's just, he just cares a lot and he's like, he's really, really mad when, when they lose. So, um, just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts on that. I think it's tough to read into the body language thing with Tatum. Like, he's a competitor. I think he's probably pissed off when he loses, and it's just, like, not the type of thing that he necessarily is, like, wears his emotion on his sleeve. But I just, like, don't think you can play and be that good on that level and, like, not be upset when you lose a game like that. But he does come from, like, the Brad Stevens can't get high, can't get too low kind of uh, approach. But I don't, I've never really questioned Tatum's, like, fire or competitiveness. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I mean, he plays 37 minutes a night. He's a good defender. He, like, obviously he doesn't, like, sound off in the press after they lose or anything like that. 
But that's just who he is. Like he's a laid back dude who is very competitive when he's on the court and plays hard for thirty seven minutes a night. So I, I don't think you can you can get mad at him about that. With the Tatum and Brown stuff, I know that's like the conversation of the week or the month or whatever. Um and I do think there are parts of their game that create friction just because they're both shoot first, score first guys who are trying to evolve in other ways. And when you have two of those guys without other pieces that make the game easier for them, I think there can be some friction there. If you look at the offensive rating with those two guys on the court, it's like 105.9, which is low for, for two guys of their caliber. That's low. The Celtics are 9-12 and 12 in games those guys have played together, which isn't good. Um, but also the defense has been great whenever they're on the court together. And I do think if if the formula changes around them, if they have better passers and shooters and more skill around them that make the game easier for them, all of a sudden some of the friction goes away. And And I think when you have two guys that talented – you try to make it work around them. And I do not think that the Celtics have done a good job of that. I thought when they built this roster that it would fit better. Um, but I knew that shooting would be in it. Like that was the most obvious glaring issue coming into the season that any team has ever had. <laughs> they were just loaded with guys who were bad shooters and it has really, really hurt them. Um, so I, I would, if I were the Celtics, I would absolutely change the supporting cast around them. And I would exhaust every opportunity to see if you put the right pieces around those guys, do they thrive together like they did two seasons ago when Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker were in town. Yeah, they looked pretty good when they were surrounded by two all-stars who were uh, knocked down three-point shooters. Like, I do think it's like a lot has to do with context and turns out they work out well when they're surrounded by other very talented basketball players. They look pretty good with Kyrie and uh, Al Horford out there uh, also look pretty good with Terry Rozier and Al Horford out there. Like I do like their offensive rating only being 106 is a little bit lower than uh, what I thought it was going to be. And, but I do think that's also just a product of they're the two best shooters on this team right now. And, who knows? Maybe Trotton Grant out there, Mr. Clay Thompson himself, uh, putting him in the quarter in crunch time might be helpful. Maybe even putting Josh Richardson out there. I was just looking at the different two-man lineups uh, just in terms of net rating. Josh Richardson and Marcus Smart have 117 offensive rating, which is uh, absolutely wild. So one of the more effective uh, two-man lineups. Maybe putting Richardson out there as catch-and-shoot three-point shooter it will help them out. Something needs to change. They have three, again, which should be easy games coming up. One more, another one against the Knicks, and then two more against the Pacers, who are shockingly uh, worse than the Celtics this year in the Eastern Conference. I hope Ime tries something different, and that kind of something different uh, creates a different result. But I don't know. I'm also fully prepared to pod again on Tuesday and just be like, wow. The Celtics gave up two 19-point leads again and have lost four in a row because it feels like the Celtics can find a way 
uh, to just make every loss as excruciating as possible. I just looked up fourth quarter net ratings and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, when they're on the court, the those lineups have been minus 8.9 points per 100 possessions in the fourth Sheesh. quarter with a 96.9 offensive rating. Have there been any lineups that are a positive in the fourth quarter for the Celtics? Like, no. I just don't think it's possible when they have like the worst fourth quarter net rating. In the league. They're, they're four perimeter players that they usually use in the closing lineup, have used in the closing lineup pretty frequently whenever they're all available. 92.3 offensive rating in the fourth quarter for Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Lineups with those four guys. That's disgusting. That's and they've, only, gross. they've only played 37 minutes together in the fourth quarter, which is obviously a tiny sample size. But we've seen enough to realize that those guys do not work together. And so I, like I, I'm going to keep saying this. You've got to change things around them. And they have to get better too. It, they are not like they are not free of blame in any of this. Like you said, Packard, there have been a bunch and June said there have been a bunch of games like if Tatum were better, if Jalen had been better, the Celtics would have won. And that's totally fair. But I also think with different pieces around them being used in different ways, like they would have a much better chance of success. And the Celtics need to to figure it out and do it quickly because there are there is huge pressure now. Like, oh yeah, huge pressure. Did they hire the right coach? Do they need to hire a new coach, or will Ime Udoka get better with seasoning? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it, it, is Brad Stevens capable in the front office? Can they build the roster around Tatum and Brown that makes those guys? want to stay long-term, if they are the right pieces, and if they aren't the right pieces, can they get something in return that makes them better, pushes them up? And, like, I think Evan Turner said it on on Twitter today. I just had to uh, bring up Evan Turner because any chance I get, I, I like to bring up Evan Turner. But he was responding to something else on Twitter. Uh, somebody said, trade Tatum and Smart, get a coach that will instill toughness, softest team in the NBA. And Jeff Goodman quote tweeted it, saying, no chance I'm trading Tatum. Evan Turner, who was a Celtics assistant coach last season, who knows Jason Tatum very well, said, move the franchise before you trade Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> so those are his thoughts on the matter. And I, I tend to agree. Tatum is... Tatum is the untouchable. I don't think Jalen's quite untouchable, but I also think he's very good, and it's very hard to get guys who are as talented and as productive as Jalen Brown. And so if you do trade him, you better be damn sure you're making the right move. You better get a whole lot in return. And and if you don't trade him, then then find the right pieces around those guys to give them a better chance of thriving together. My last point, and then we'll wrap up, is that the four-man lineup of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Rob Williams, I don't know what their fourth quarter net rating is, but they have a positive net rating of plus 10, which is uh, pretty good. Maybe including Dennis in that is not the best strategy. And so, Jay, the question I have for you is by the time we next podcast, will the Celtics 
have traded Dennis Schroeder? No. Everything is possible! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.